Just turn your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we'll be looking at today. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 1, chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And would you just bow your heads with me as we acknowledge the Lord once again in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to be gathered here. Thank you for your blessings to us. Father, thank you for all that we have experienced thus far in your presence. And now as we turn our attention to your word, we just want to pause for a moment to acknowledge our dependence on you. God, I need you right now. I need you to help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would prepare the hearts of everyone in attendance to not hear me speaking so much, but you speaking through me. So, God, have your way in our midst. Encourage, inspire us, instruct us in how we are to live in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The thought that I have on my heart this morning is, why did Jesus die? And as we know, this coming Friday is Good Friday, a day when we commemorate the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross is an accepted historical fact. But why did he die? Why do we commemorate the anniversary of his death? And does his death have any real significance for our life? Well, yes it does. The Bible teaches that Jesus' death changed the course of human history. It also teaches that his death is hugely significant for each and every human being. And that's why we want to look at today this very important topic of why did Jesus die. Our text from Romans, as we looked at uh, last week, or said last week, was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Rome. And I want to focus this morning on three of the verses in this letter that he writes to them. And that's verses 6 to 8 in the text that we just read. These verses really help us to understand why Jesus died. As we think about this idea of why he died, why was, what was good about Good Friday? And here's the first thing. Jesus died because we were sinners. Look again at verse number 8. It said, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is a sinner? 
Well, obviously, a sinner is someone who commits sin. But Jesus really explained it better than that. He said that when, a, when he spoke of a sinner in Mark 2.17, when he said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, Jesus was referring to those who consciously make a lifestyle of sin rather than the righteous who occasionally fall into sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that sin lies primarily in a person's attitude rather than just their actions. Thus, the person with a sinful attitude has separated himself from God, while those with righteous attitudes and trust in Jesus Christ have united with God. In other words, a sinner is a person who is separated from God due to their rebellious attitude towards God and their devotion to a sinful lifestyle. To be a sinner is to be separated from God, to be living in alienation from Him. A person who has not put their trust in Him, who is living in rebellion against God's plan for their life. And a person who has devoted themselves, who is living and practicing a sinful lifestyle. This describes all of us. In the verse we looked at last week, Paul makes it clear that we were all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's each and every one of us, you and me. We're all sinners in God's eyes. And the fact that we have committed sin caused a breach in our relationship with God. He created us to live a relationship with Him, to have a close, intimate, personal fellowship with Him. But we can't do that when we have sin in our lives. And that caused a breach between us and God. We see an example of this in the lives of Adam and Eve. The scripture talks about how that God would come down and commune with them in the cool of the garden. But then one day God comes and he calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? And they had hid themselves because they had sinned and they were ashamed. And right there we see in that this separation, this alienation between them and God. And when God called out to Adam and said, where are you? He wasn't doing that for his benefit. God knew perfectly well where they were. But he did that for Adam and Eve's benefit. So they would see that their sinfulness had caused an alienation between themselves and to God. Well, just as Adam and Eve were hidden from God and separated, the relationship that they had was severed. So was our relationship with God. But sin not only affected our relationship with God, it affected our relationship with one another. That's why we live in a world where there is hatred, jealousy, envy, and strife. Sin is the reason there is racism and sexism and discrimination. It's because of the sinfulness of man that there are murders and wars. All of these things are the effect that sin has had on humanity. We look at the news, I'm sure, most of us throughout the week and read the paper, and you just see it on display all around us, and you see that this world is not the way that God created it to be. Mankind was never meant to die. There was never meant to be murders and killings. There's never meant to be all of the evil that we see, crime and the need for police and for uh, soldiers and, and instruments of war. All of that is because of sin. Well, why did Jesus die? Jesus died on the cross to deal with mankind's problem with sin. There was this epidemic that was sweeping the land and it still is called sin. And Jesus came to sort that out. Jesus died because we were sinners. The next reason that Jesus died is because we were powerless. Look again at verse number 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only did sin affect our relationship with God, caused us to not to have the relationship, the intimacy with Him that He desires and that we were meant to have, but sin also was addictive. 
Sin enslaved us, causing us to do things that we know are wrong and preventing us from doing what we know is right. When a person is bound, is, is, when a person is a sinner, they are bound by sin and they find themselves even living a life and doing things that they really don't want to do. There have been many a person who has gone out and made a fool of themselves on a Friday night or a Saturday night. They've gotten drunk or ended up at home or someone else's home sleeping with somebody just met. Or maybe they have some behavior or some, some addiction that they are involved in and they say to themselves over and over again, I'm going to stop it, but they're powerless to do that. This is the effect of sin. There was nothing that we could do to break free from sin's grip. There was nothing that we can do in our own strength to save ourselves. And so Jesus died because we were powerless. Turn with me just over the page to chapter 7. And Paul describes what it was like before he came to Christ. In terms of the effect that sin had in his life and had in all of our lives. Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse number 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in a sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. You can sense in these words the agony and the despair that Paul is describing. And many of us can relate to that. Can relate to a time in our life before we came to Christ when we found ourselves living a life that we didn't want to live. Doing things we didn't want to do. And determining over and over again that I'm going to change. I'm going to do right. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing that. And yet the good that we wanted to do, we couldn't do. And the evil that we said that we didn't want to do, that we found ourselves doing over and over again. Many people at the New Year make New Year's resolutions to say they're going to stop some behavior or they're going to change their life. And they try to do all kinds of things, but nothing works. Now there are some who argue that Paul is describing the condition of his life after conversion, after a Christian. I don't believe that's true. And I think if you look at verse number 8, you see very clearly that Paul is describing his experience before conversion. In chapter 8, verse 9, he says... You, however, are controlled by the sinful nature, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The things that he describes in chapter 7 is the description of a life controlled by the sinful nature. And he says that we are no longer controlled by the sinful nature, we're now controlled by the Spirit of God. But on the other hand, it is possible for someone who is a Christian to feel at times in their life just like what Paul says in chapter 7. 
But we must also know that if you are experiencing what Paul describes in chapter 7 as a Christian, that is not normative. That is not normal behavior. That is not what Christ died for. There is something wrong and we must seek God's help so that we do not experience that as Christians. If someone is experiencing that kind of hopelessness, that kind of bondage, that kind of powerlessness, even after coming to Christ, then they are, they are not experiencing salvation that, the way that God intended. The freedom that God intended for us to have in Jesus Christ. There may be times in our walk with Christ when we find ourselves struggling with things, but that should not be accepted. That is not what Christ died for. He's describing life before we come to know Jesus Christ. The powerlessness that God came, that Jesus came to deal with. This is why he died. He died because we were powerless. Because sin had a grip on us. Satan had us in his control and there was nothing we could do to break free. One of the wonderful things about coming to know Jesus Christ is that not only does his death pay the penalty for our sins, the debt that we owe to God and allow us to be able to live in heaven with him, but Jesus' death broke the power of sin in our lives so that we could live the life that God created us to live. So that we could make the decisions to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust and to live a righteous, godly, holy life right here in this present age. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to free us from the bondage of sin. Because before Jesus, we were slaves to sin and only Jesus could free us. So sin is the terrible human condition that God sent Jesus to fix. And he came to do that because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Nothing that we could do could bring about forgiveness of sin or restore our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if there's someone here today who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, if you're still experiencing the powerlessness of sin over sin, this sense of being just bound by it and not being able to break free of not even just things like lust or fornication or adultery, but what about unforgiving spirits that someone has hurt you and yet you can't forgive them? What about envy and jealousy? What, what about a discontent that makes you just unsatisfied with your life or what God is doing in your life or what he has provided you with? All of these things, Jesus Christ came to set us free. I like this image here because it's an image of a person who's carrying a briefcase and looks like they've got on a suit. So probably somebody who's well off or respectable. You know, we often think of sinners as maybe somebody lying on skid row or somebody addicted to drugs or, or drunk. But, you know, even a person that is an upstanding citizen, a good husband, father, a credit to their community, an asset to society, someone like that who hasn't come to know the forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, they're still bound by sin. It's like a ball and chain that carries that they carry with them everywhere they go. Jesus came to set us free. And thank God for that. Here's the other reason our text tells us this morning that Jesus died. Verse number 8, Jesus died because God loved us. We go back to our text in chapter 5. Verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Probably one of the most well-known scriptures in the Bible is which verse? John 3.16, yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Both of these scriptures really speak to the motivation behind Jesus dying on the cross. Why did he do it? He did it because he loved us. And that's the great story of the Bible. That's the good news that we have to offer to this world. 
is that God is not some angry, judgmental, mean, you know, God who just gets his uh, joy by punishing us. Instead, God loves us so much that he went to great lengths to bring salvation to mankind. I hope that all of us, and I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, but I hope everybody here has felt loved in your life. That there are people that have just, you just have known that they love you. That their love for you is unconditional. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse or a child or a good friend or aunt or uncle. Somebody. We, we've all know what it is to be loved. But no matter how much love you've experienced from other human beings. No matter how loving your parents were. Or how loving your grandparents or friends. Or what kind of love relationship you have with your spouse. None of those people have ever loved you like God loves you. You think about the love you've experienced from your mom or your dad or someone, that doesn't even compare to the love that God has for you. God loved each and, the, each and every one of us so much that he had a plan for our lives from before we were born. A plan to prosper us. A plan to make sure that we were able to experience life as he intended. This is how much God loved us. But then he loved us so much that he sacrificed the best thing that he had, his one and only son, to die on the cross for our sins. And he loved us so much that he did it even before we had confessed our sins, even before we had come to him, even while we were still living in rebellion against him, God had already planned a way for salvation for us. I find this amazing. And if there's anything that should really motivate us to love God in return, motivate us to trust him and to trust his word, it has to be this knowledge that God loves you. Do you ever find yourself doubting that? Do you ever find yourself not quite sure of that? You must not ever, ever allow Satan to cause you to believe that God doesn't love you, that he has given up on you, that he no longer has a plan for your life. And I know if you're like me, sometimes you think about the things you've done in the past or you think about even the sinful thoughts and desires and attitudes that you still have to fight against today and you wonder how can a, um, a holy, righteous God ever love me? Because I am so undeserving of it. When I think about all the times I've failed Him, how could He still love me? But the Bible makes it clear from beginning to end that God's love is unconditional. That God's love is everlasting. That when other people would have set us aside, when other people would have given up with the, on us, when other people would say, no more forgiveness for you because you've been forgiven too often, God still loves us. Amen? Amen. And that's the joy that really motivates our life. That's how we have peace because we know that God loves us. We often describe in scripture as being children of God. And one of the things a small child really does take comfort and confidence in are the love of their parents. A child who grows up in a loving home, it does something to their psyche. It does something to their emotions and to their, their view of themselves. It, it builds a confidence in the world because they have always been loved. I know that's been true of me. I was really blessed to grow up in a home with parents that loved me and affirmed me. Even from a young boy, said positive things about me and, and lifted me up and made me feel special. And, and it built my self-esteem. So when I go out into the world and people say, Darnell, you're rubbish. <laughs> or I don't think very much of you. I don't like you. It doesn't bother me as much because I know there are people who love me. That's the same thing that we take into the world. When you know you are loved of God, it doesn't matter what others say about you. 
because you know you're special to him. Other people may not appreciate you, but you know that God does. Other people may not value you, but God values you so much that if you were the only person on the earth, he would have sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross just for you. That's how special you are. Why did Jesus die? Because God loves us. God is not some distant deity unconcerned with our lives. He is a personal loving God who cares deeply about you and wants to have a relationship with you. Unfortunately, our sin made that impossible. The first slide we had up there had a, a, a picture of a gulf between two ledges and there was this, we couldn't cross it. But Jesus came to build a bridge across that so we could be once more reunited with God. Jesus' death is the greatest expression of God's love mankind has ever had. You know that God loves us because he sent his son to die for our sins. But God's love has another dimension that is very important for us to consider. Because if we don't mention this, then it almost sounds like God is this kind of parent that you see today who spoils their children. And doesn't matter how bad the child is, the parent just overlooks it. They never punish them. You know, let them get away with murder. Anybody ever seen a child like that? <laughs> you know, that's not the way that God is. He, he doesn't just say, go out there, sin as much as you want. Just whatever you've done is wrong. You know, whatever you have done that is wrong, I, I'm just going to wipe it under the, sweep it under the rug and wipe it away. No. Another dimension of God's love is his justice. Jesus died, yes, because of God's love for us, but Jesus also died to uphold God's justice. Look at uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. It says, God presented him, speaking of Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God's great love for us caused him to be motivated to save us from the penalty of our sins so we wouldn't have to spend all of eternity separated from God in hell. But God didn't just accomplish this by simply parting us the way that a head of state might pardon a criminal. For example, in the American uh, governmental system, the President of the United States has the power to issue presidential pardons to anyone. And when that pardon is issued, the conviction is wiped away, any penalty attached to it is canceled, and it doesn't matter if the person is guilty or innocent. A pardon isn't just extended to people that the president feels is innocent. A person can be guilty of the crime that they've been convicted of. But the president has the power to just say, I pardon you. It, 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 it's like it didn't happen. That's not real justice. Not in, in the way that God sees it. Especially because with man, it often has to deal with whether you're politically connected or powerful or, or influential. You know, not everybody has access to a presidential pardon. But that's not what God did. He didn't just, just say, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to overlook it. It's just forgiven. That wouldn't have been just. God's own law demanded that a price be paid for our sins. Here's a couple of scriptures that speak to that. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals as a way to pay the price for the sins of mankind. In fact, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when God confronted Adam and Eve about their sin, what he did is he took an animal 
and killed it and used the skin of it to cover their nakedness. You know, so that they will be wearing clothes for the first time. But even in that, you see, it was an animal had to die to pay for the sins of Adam and Eve. And then in Matthew 26, it says, here Jesus speaking to his disciples, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was saying that his blood now, instead of the blood of an animal, was the price that was being paid for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for us. He became a substitute, a sacrifice of atonement for our sins because justice demanded that we be punished for our sins. So when Jesus died, he upheld God's love, but he also upheld God's justice. God provided salvation for us in a way that retained the integrity of his character as a moral, just, and holy God. He didn't let sin go unpunished. Instead, his son became a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died in our place. That's why although salvation is a free gift, it wasn't cheap. There was a costly price. Jesus paid the price for us. So what's so good about Good Friday? Why is it worth celebrating and commemorating? What does it have to do with our lives today? Well, Jesus died so that we could live. Not just walk around breathing air, but really live the abundant life. Live in relationship with God now. Live the life that God created us to live free from the power and the influence of sin. But also to have the hope that one day we'll spend all of eternity in heaven with God. Eternal life with Him. Good Friday commemorates the moment in human history when God provided a cure for the problem of sin that infected and affected every human being. And he did this through the death, burial, and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful to know? That's why Good Friday is significant. That's the difference that it has made in human history and can make in each and every life. Your life can be changed in ways that it had never been changed before. But here's the rub. Jesus' death only makes salvation available. You have to accept it for it to apply to your life. All of the good things we've been talking about that Jesus died for and all of the benefits of it, none of that will have any impact on your life if you don't put your personal trust in Him as your Savior. You do that by beginning to acknowledge that you are a sinner, to ask God to forgive you for the things that you've done wrong, and telling Him that you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for your sins. Those of us who are already Christians, who've already put our faith in Him, Good Friday is significant. It reminds us of what God has done for us. But then it also highlights the fact that we were saved for a reason. That Jesus Christ paid a price for our sins, not just so that we could be Christians, or go to church. Not so that we could just look off in the future that, well, one day when I die, I'll go to heaven. But it makes a difference in how we live our lives right now. We must never, as Christians, allow ourselves to be entangled again in the things that God has set us free from. We must never allow that ball and chain to be reattached to us as we live in this world. As Christians, He died to set us free. He died so that we could live. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for this whole season. As we think about Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter, thank you for what these, all of these days really mean to us. 
They're not just holidays on the calendar or just something that happened thousands of years ago. But it has real significance for our life today. What Jesus did on Good Friday when he went to Calvary's Hill and died on the cross for our sins has hugely impacted our lives. Father, we wouldn't be in relationship with you today if not for what Jesus did. We wouldn't have peace with you today if not for what Jesus did. We wouldn't have the hope of eternal life if not for Jesus' death on the cross. We would not have been forgiven of our sins and all the other wonderful blessings and benefits that come to us as believers. So we thank you for that moment in history when you sent your son to sort out the sin problem that affected all of humanity. Father, as we put our trust in you and our faith in you and accepted Jesus' death as forgiveness of sins, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to live in the reality of that, to not take your death lightly. Help it to motivate us how we live each and every day, how we treat one another, how we treat others, how we live in the world among unbelievers. Father, help us to experience the abundant life as you intended. And I would pray, dear God, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who is a Christian today, and yet they still find themselves in a situation where they're still struggling with sin, they're not experiencing peace and joy and contentment in their life the way that you intended. I pray, Father, that you speak to their heart and bring them to that place in their relationship with you when they will begin to live in the abundance of what it is that you have for us as believers. Father, thank you for your gift. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.